Welcome back to Unless You Ask on June 17th, Thursday. Uh, with me today is a former roommate, Appliance Energy Standard nerd, and Roy Main, Thomas Two. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be um, on the first live show ever on um, on Saturday, uh, June June 26th. Uh, GME just hit 420. Uh, big things are happening. Bitcoin just crashed again, and the housing market has has cooled off. Thoughts on this this week's past events? Um, on this week's past events, uh, very good. Excited for Juneteenth weekend because it is June seventeenth on a Thursday. Right. Yeah. Live. This is this is actually the first live show you you've done. Live for us. Okay, Kevin. Um, Thomas, for those of us who uh, don't know who you are. <laughs> unfamiliar with you and I's work how uh, how do you and I know each other you know that's a that's a funny story like I I wouldn't say that we we like know each other you know I would say it's closer to one of those situations where like I know of you and you know of me but like to, to know someone is like it, it, it's an intimate thing right um, right it is so I, I I would really say it's closer to one of those those situations where you know we we know of each other Yep, and we we knew of each other when we lived together, uh, both in 2012 and uh, from 2014 through 2016. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Three longest years of my life. Uh, we also knew of each other when we uh, used to record a radio show together called Zero Liquid Assets with DJ Kev Dog and Tea Leaf. Does that ring yeah. any bells? Uh, I remember getting some really good investment advice from there, but I, I, I do follow it to this to this day. I'm I'm on the downward march. Yeah, yeah. True, old heads will know about ZLA uh, and the energy that the, that we're bringing to this podcast vis-a-vis that pot, that radio show. Yeah, I, I remember doing a lot of prep for that for that show, and that's why I'm excited to be on here today. Just just the amount of prep work we we put into this episode, I think the quality will really shine through when people hear how planned these questions were and how how much mm-hmm. time has been put into to crafting responses. Yeah, you can't over prepare for this. If anything, that the past weeks of recording the show has taught me is that you can't over prepare. Um, you really got to make sure the guest feels comfortable, because the more comfortable you feel, the more comfortable our listener will feel. So. Just uh, transpose your comfort onto them whenever you're speaking. And that's okay, I I am feeling super anxious right now. I'm not gonna lie. Like there's there's a lot of anxiety coming. I don't know if you can see through the screen, but like I'm I'm fidgeting and my palms are sweaty and you know it's I've been hiding yeah. for the past year. Like I haven't quite remembered how to how to talk to other people. Yeah. Well, lucky for you, Thomas. Uh, this is a podcast. It's not live, and I can edit it, so <laughs> you can say and feel however you want um so we yes you you were featured briefly on a previous episode if you want to uh get sort of the prequel to this episode you can listen to the episode with shin thomas's wife um do you think that shin uh will listen to this episode thomas you know that's a that's an interesting question like i would say what are your listenership numbers so I don't have insight into the Apple side of it, 
because I don't know how to do that. On the Spotify side, which let's assume that it's like a little more than half or something, I think the episodes average around like 50 people or something like that. Oh yeah. wow, that's that's actually more than I more than I thought. Okay, well what sh- what well, she's probably going to do is that she's going to That is more than it actually is. That's an inflation for for me to feel better. So, don't it's okay. less than 50. Uh, Shin, Shin will fun. listen to the first five minutes and then she'll realize that the next 45 minutes are about nothing and then she'll she'll tune out. <laughs> so this is a good precursor for for your for our live audience. Yeah, if, the, if this is your first episode of Unless You Ask, uh, I'm sorry. Um, so we uh, yeah, COVID is uh, on the decline in the United States thanks to vaccines. And so, uh, you know, the original purpose of this podcast was when we were locked away in quarantine, I was uh, talking to my friends about their interests to try to reconnect with some folks and to, you know, experience what they have gone more interested in during quarantine. So uh, with that in mind, Thomas, what interest and topic have you brought to the show today? You know, as, as you know, I, I prepared... For this quite quite vigorously and and with a lot of time so you know obviously i have a i have a topic obviously <laughs> so yeah my my topic is my topic is um openers for the italian game i have over i have over <laughs> three thousand games on chess.com playing <laughs> variants of the italian at around 1100 um 1100 elo Thomas, you could probably actually do a whole podcast about one-tricking things. Thomas is oh. famous for figuring out like one thing in a game that is either annoying or that like is good in a really specific way, and only doing that thing until you can't like ignore it anymore. Yeah, you so know, you could, you could I, talk I actually about that if you went from from seven hundred to about a thousand um, ELO on chess.com using only the blackburn shilling gambit yeah it's amazing how yeah how how often people will fall for like what they perceive as a free pawn like look at the board they're only 64 squares it's like not that there's not that much you have to do um so do you want me to ask you questions about chess is that your topic no no my real topic my real topic is is somewhat closely related uh i think thematically at least to to bad gambits for low ranked players um but i th- i think what i think what would be great to talk about uh i noticed you haven't had an episode on this is um the impending issues and challenges we'll face in uh energy and climate yes energy and climate so uh as a precursor uh this episode's not going to be the happiest episode that we have ever recorded and that's okay it's uh, just a warning so that if you are looking for something that's uplifting, you can listen to the episode where uh, E-Man and I talk about pop punk. And uh, No, I, I think this is going to be, I think you'll be surprised at how uplifting this will oh. be. Oh, okay. I will be. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good things to come. Okay. okay. I don't know if I trust you, Thomas, but we'll, we'll see how things go. So, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about the climate. So... Uh, for the people at home who don't know you again, what is your sort of like professional and academic background and how does it relate to the environment? 
Yeah, so uh, I graduated from UCSD in 2014 and started working at um, Lawrence Berkeley Lab in the Energy Efficiency Standards Group, where we worked on national standards for for energy efficiency. So you know, like the the controversial um, incandescent light bulb ban. So the, the the group responsible for for things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I started sort of on the demand side management uh, equation of of climate work mostly and pretty much exclusively on energy efficiency and then in in 2017 for uh, shortly after the uh, shortly after november 2016 um for unknown reasons i i left to go to a consultancy also doing um implementation of energy efficiency programs so i've been, I've been steeped in, in the world of demand side management for the past uh i want to say like six years now yeah. um that's it's a long time to be steeped in it so what are what are some of your favorite standards? I I got to say pool pumps like it's Pool pumps. Yeah, That's it's one of those one. Ha- happy cases where the manufacturers, the consumers and the standards bodies are all like on the same page. The the, the every so often you get these weird product classes where um, the manufacturers of the thing manufacture like an efficient and an inefficient product and they just make more money from the efficient product. So if the government comes in and says, hey, you can only make the thing that makes you more money, you know, it's everyone is everyone is pretty happy. Um, it was the same story with uh, with the ozone depleting refrigerants in um, in the 90s, where the people who made uh, ozone friendly refrigerants were also the people who made ozone unfriendly refrigerants. So when all that money got poured in, it was to this to the actors who are responsible for the problem to begin with. But you know, it's the virtuous cycle of of getting people to want to do the right thing. Yes, that's that seems like uh, a lot of the work that you've done has been uh, understanding the how products, uh, specifically like you know household products, have contributed to energy inefficiencies and what manufacturers have and haven't done to uh to try to help align their products with the most efficient uh standards does that well, seem right su- uh surprisingly the, most of the work is in um, residential and domestic appliances but the bulk of the impact really comes from or the the impact to work ratio really comes from commercial hvac so hvac systems are really the the bread and butter of where the impacts lie the bulk majority of the hours of work though is like in this diaspora of disparate appliances that are out there just because there are so many so many useful things that we can plug into into the outlet um <laughs> right actually my favorite product class of all time is like a co- there the, it samsung i think in 2015 released a refrigerator with a coffee maker um on the freezer door so you know this is like the point of a freezer is to keep things cold, and when you put a heating element right on the outside of this of this ice box, it just is. I I couldn't understand why they would put a water heater, run that through the freezer. Like there's no there's no merit or virtue to it. It was, yeah, it, it was ballsy. It was like an astounding <laughs> thing to do. I I, I appreciate um, boldness where I see it. Yeah, <laughs> it's maybe some cold brew. It's the best case scenario. Um, so yes, with that background can you give people who are maybe a little bit less uh attuned to what's going on in the environment and with the climate a little brief uh intro background with kind of the what's led us to the point we're at now and kind of where we are right now in terms of how hot the uh the atmosphere is getting 
Yeah, so we globally are sort of in the shitter. Um, we have this sort of artificial target of keeping warming below 2 degrees C, and, and this warming has been caused by an influx in carbon dioxide, uh, largely from the energy, transportation, agricultural, and in, um, industrial sectors. A third about, about a third of the GHGs in the world are, are electricity. Another third is about transportation, and the final third is um, in, like, buildings, uh, in industrial processes, and, and agriculture. So be, because of that, that large amount of um, CO2-heavy life uh, processes that we depend on for living as a society and people, um, we are slowly rendering parts of the planet into very unstable cycles that will make it very difficult for people to live there. Yes. So what are some examples of those cycles? Uh, well, we're actually going through one right now, and by the time this goes live, this might actually be be an issue, which is uh, wildfires are, are becoming a lot more problematic in California and in Texas. You know, the, their grid fro- um, froze over in February, which is very abnormal just because of the, yes. the cold temperatures in February. And then the grid shut down briefly again um, because it got too hot. So, you know, can't be too hot and can't be too cold. Um so, so it's not as though there are any individual events, but there's this, there, there's an increasing frequency of freak events that have always sort of occurred, but in, in much smaller frequency and less, and less extreme um, boundaries. And that, that's happening a lot more frequently. And we expect that to happen a lot more frequently. So, you know, what happens when Katrina hits, another Katrina hits um, a population center in a few years. So that, that's sort of the thing that we're, we're talking about. So how how does the uh, two degree Celsius or however many we end up at uh, increase in temperature in the atmosphere connect to those extreme weather events? Well, pretty much all all energy in in the climate system is is you know largely driven by by temperature differences in, in various places. So like if it gets too hot somewhere, there there's more precipitation, which leads to or there's more evaporation, which leads to more precipitation, which would lead to higher monsoons uh, or more intense monsoons in places where there's already a lot of precipitation. Um, on the converse, you might see places where, traditionally with very little rainfall um, get even less rainfall. Um, and you just get more extremes in, in a lot of different climates. So the, the temperature differences or temperature, average temperature increases that we're going to observe are... Uh, are going to be disruptive for being able to exist. Yes. Um, okay. This is my next question is just has, uh, learning more about the environment made you feel sad. You know, have you, have you ever read the three body problem? problem? Yeah. It's a fantastic novel. Um, it's about, it's about aliens. I have not read it. Uh, well it, it actually is a novel. I'm also very interesting physics problem, which, which is just fun to solve. Um, but in Three Body Problem, there, there's the premise of the book is that uh, Earth makes first contact with a alien civilization known as the Trisolarians, located in like Alpha Centauri or something like that. Um, okay. So, so they make contact with the aliens, and then the aliens decide to come to Earth to invade Earth, and this is known as the Dark Forest uh, dilemma of if if anyone in the universe or a galaxy makes contact with one another you have no idea whether they're hostile or friendly so 
Mm. It's in your best interests if you can just to eliminate them in case they are hostile. Uh, yeah, I guess. So anyway, this this race of aliens, this, these trisolarans, um, are like technologically way more advanced. Like Earth clearly doesn't stand a chance in in surviving. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way, they they do survive due to not due to technological advances, but um, well, that aside, there there's a there are a lot of moments in in the book where where people simply give up and they fall to defeatism, mm-hmm. um, and the the people who are subscribed to this level of defeatism aren't able to come up with anything or the people who are tasked to fighting the aliens who have fallen to defeatism um they they just they don't do anything at all that contributes to to helping humanity survive and moving forward so it it hasn't disheartened me because i i think if it it gets to the point where like you get too disheartened you you become defeatist and then there's no there are no goals that you you can motivate yourself to work toward. Um, I think I'm hopeful in that people will understand the urgency when when various disasters hit. Mm-hmm. I I'm hopeful that people will at the end of the day come together and and solve problems together. So I'm I'm not um, well. First off, I'm, I'm not really an environmentalist. I I just think that it'd be nice to have a planet to live in. Yeah. Um, we can get behind that together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it sounds like it, it hasn't made you it hasn't made you like completely uh you know, sad, give up, which is good. And I think that that's an appropriate place to be. It's good to understand what you can do and and what's going on, but not to turn that into defeatism like you said. So I I'm I'm with you, Thomas. I agree. <laughs> so maybe this won't be our saddest episode. There's there's other things that can take that mantle. <laughs> Um, I'm waiting awesome. for the gotcha question. Is there going to be a gotcha question here? I want to. I think the I gotcha question. To, yeah, yeah. Give me the a gotcha, gotcha questions question. are going to be at the end, so don't worry about that when we play the game. Sweet. Have you listened to the show, Thomas? Uh, yeah, I know. I know there's a game. I, I figured okay. we could make make this game like a game of chess or something. We could talk about the Italian for the last twenty minutes. <laughs> I don't think anyone that listens to this wants to hear about the Italian. Chess is more of a visual thing, you know, unless you're like really good at it. But anyway, uh, so yeah, with all that uh, being said, you said that, uh, you know, it hasn't made you completely sad. What are some things that uh, you are uh, looking forward to other than people having horrible natural disasters occur and waking them up to the reality of climate change? Oh, darn it. I was going to I was OK. Can I can I give one of those and then I'll give yeah, you. Yeah, sure, um, sure. All right. <laughs> I am looking so forward to insurance companies hiring property assessors that will take the 50-year um, sea level sea levels into account. Mm-hmm. There is going to be so much property that just like gets wiped out, or so much property value that like simply gets wiped out because insurance companies, up until very recently, have not even considered um, housing prices in, in like the 50 year or 100 year view and, and houses are like 100 year 100 year asset classes right like you right. buy a house you expect the building to to stand for like a couple maybe 100 years at most mm-hmm. if it's san francisco maybe more than that and then you just sort of wait until the house breaks down before yeah. you're allowed to rebuild <laughs> and you set it on fire and collect money that way yeah um, um or, or wait for it to go underwater i don't know i don't so know what, what, the so what is. you're saying is when that happens when insurers start to take into account the 50 to 100 year uh sea levels then 
they're going to start charging like much, much more for insurance? Um, yeah, they probably will do. I'm not looking forward to that, but for like home insurance and for, for people to be able to assess their, their property, I think it will, it will bring people back to the idea that, um, planning for the future is, is a pretty good idea. Uh, I think there's sort of this, this laissez-faire attitude or this sort of like ambivalence myopic. Yeah. Yeah towards wanting to think beyond like even a year like it's hard to think beyond a year right if i asked you where are you going to be in a year it's like yeah it's an impossible question well i um, mean it's hard for me but it's especially hard if you uh are in a certain you know socioeconomic class like you're you're trying to make ends meet paycheck to paycheck you don't you can't think a year ahead you know if you're in that scenario and that's a yeah bunch and of people I, in the US. I, I do think that when people's houses are in danger when their homes are in danger it's going to trigger a cultural shift. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be the the of ignition that people need to s- sort of start to make that cultural shift to thinking um, in the future, thinking 10 years ahead of where we want to be collectively. Mm-hmm. And that'll remind everyone that we're sort of in this together. Like there's no, no one lives in a vacuum. No one got to anywhere where they are alone. No one gets anywhere like by themselves. Yeah. It sort of I, takes everyone to make it work. That's true. I agree. I think probably there are many people out there who feel like they did do something in a vacuum or they like earned it on their own. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there's a world out there in the future, you know, with this, the next generation hopefully is thinking more like how you're describing. We're in this together and we got to protect our homes. Well, by, by then it'll, it'll be too late to protect certain homes, but yeah, <laughs> we should, we should save some homes. So yeah, just to be clear, what, what you're, uh, I asked you what, what's something that's going to make you happy about, climate change or that you're looking forward to and you said uh the eventual rise of insurance prices and uh people's homes being threatened causing them to band together is that clear is that right uh yeah if you want the gotcha headline you know the thing i'm looking forward to is people losing their homes yeah <laughs> so that's the that's the twist the that's what's going wanna... in the uh in the descript the episode description for sure um, um, the the non-disaster thing that I'm looking forward to is uh, sonic dryers. Sonic dryers? Yeah, so imagine this. You you put your clothes in the washer, Yeah. and they're wet, and then you need to dry them. I can, I can imagine that. Right, yeah. So you ever wear wet clothes? It's it's super uncomfortable. And then <laughs> and then at some point, you like sort of start to smell funky. Absolutely. Um, it's bad for you and the clothes. But imagine if you could dry, dry your clothes was sound <laughs> and and now imagine if i told you that this wasn't a joke and it's real and it's coming in in like two to three years um how does it dry your clothes to sound where does the water go uh you know that's actually a super good question like i i haven't looked into this so much but uh sonic sonic dryers have been a funded research effort for you know for domestic use right. um for 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 about a decade now, so they they are coming. We're gonna be able to dry clothes with sound. Is that gonna be it's, like more energy efficient? Is the idea? Yeah, it's it's gonna be about a twelfth of the energy. So right now, the way we dry clothes is we burn natural gas or we we heat up a heating coil. That's like, if you have an electric dryer, you might notice that you have like that two forty volt plug specifically for your dryer. Mm. Um, and if you have a natural gas dryer, you may have noticed the pilot light that's always on. You're like literally burning gas to 
dry your clothes, which is a little ridiculous. If you noticed either of those things about your dryer and you're listening to this podcast, please email me and I will Venmo you $5 because I don't think anybody's ever looked at the back of their dryer. <laughs> so congratulations, you won. You made it this far into the show and, and you have you know what's on the back of your dryer. Thomas, you're not eligible, unfortunately. Um, but that sounds cool. Even if it's not energy efficient, it sounds cool. Maybe a little yeah, loud. It, I mean, I think it's going to be a hallmarker of, uh, it's actually not going to be loud. It's it's going to be loud for dogs, but it's not going to be loud Yikes. for us. It's, um, but, you know, it, it's. I think it's going to be one of those novel technologies that capture people's imaginations because um, everyone needs to dry their clothes. But it's, it's going to be more of a bellwether of all the cool stuff we're going to have as we electrify everything. We're going to have a lot of new cool things. Um, so there's going to be a te- there's a technological revolution brewing. I love They're to hear to be, that. Yeah, new devices, new toys, new new everything. It's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> yes, um, awesome. Well, Thomas, why don't we take a little break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk to you more about what's coming, and also play a little game with you as we like to do on unless you ask. Sound good? Sounds great. Welcome back to Unless You Ask. We're back from the break, and uh, Thomas and I were just talking about uh, Thomas's idea for uh, the podcast, which is to only play audio out of one ear for each of our voices. So Thomas gets the left ear, I get the right ear. Let me know what you think in the uh, reviews, if that's a good idea or not. I'm willing to try it. Well, the idea was more to like, so that one of us only, re- we both record in stereo, but then we shift the balance so that one of us is only left and okay you got it you got it you got a smart audience they'll they'll figure it out they'll, they'll understand it's a good they'll, idea yeah, they'll, they'll they'll know when i do this in a future episode um okay so we were talking about the climate a little bit um the next question i have for you is sort of a blanket how long do we have what's what's the uh what's the future looking like for humanity how long we have that's a that's a good question so that ultimately depends on what you what you want to aim for if the goal is to have a just and equitable transition for everyone who's alive today and all their future generations um we're sort of past that point where we can achieve global equity so there there are going to be winners and losers we're at the point past the point where they're going to where we can't have extreme losers in in the future there are going to be people who lose a lot regardless of what we do at this point um but I think the version of the future that most people are sort of aiming for is is some degree of normalcy where adaptation is limited to just very very select populations where the extremes are are the most extreme. Um, so the the consensus is that this two degree C target that we have by 2040 um, somehow gets us there. That people living on the coasts. Of, of the country will largely still be able to live there. Um, there might be some places like in, in Florida and the Keys where a seawall goes up to protect those houses. 
Um, they're going to be other parts of the world that that benefit like Russia, where they're going to have a lot more arable land. Um, and then there are going to be a lot of places in like Southeast Asia, like Indonesia specifically, where monsoons just get worse and worse. But and, and those people will need to be relocated. But in a very but that that'll be possible. Right. There, there's enough land and there's and people need to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So got it. And so 2040, 2040 is, is sort of the goal that it, if 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 everything goes right that's the the current like uh global goal yeah and that's the goal to to just get to zero zero emissions um that doesn't mean that we won't see the worst effects of climate change it just means that we won't be exacerbating it um 100 years in the future so the the second part of the equation is is removing co2 uh which we are nowhere close to being able to do interesting so what how uh how is that in a world where we do uh, get to a point where we can remove CO2, let's say that we get uh, we don't deliver on this uh, 2040 deadline and we put a bunch of CO2 in the atmosphere and it gets worse, is there a world where in the future the ability to remove CO2 from the atmosphere is more uh, abundant and we can do that to kind of reverse the effects? Or is that not how it works um in in that scenario the most likely future is i think people would argue uh geoengineering and and spraying certain uh aerosols in in the atmosphere to counteract co2 so just as you can have warming effects with certain gases you can have cooling effects with other gases so you can have gases that reflect a lot of the sunlight and and that's a dangerous thing to do um that's something that everyone the science sort of concurs that that's like a very misunderstood or not well understood idea that we have but in in a worst case scenario where things nothing gets on target you know it would be like on the scale of tens of millions of dollars for a rogue country to embark on releasing aerosols in the air that um, affect the the whole whole world in unknown ways got it So, so there's no technology that exists today outside of these kind of like unstable, unreliable aerosols to remove CO2 from that. Well, the, the aerosols don't remove CO2. They, they create a cooling effect. Right. Um, but we, right. we have CO2 sequestration um, technologies that, that have been uh, in, in the works for literally millions of years, and they're, they're called trees. But we currently don't really have a lot that, <laughs> that beats, beats a good tree. Um, there are, there are advances in forestry though that, that are somewhat interesting like we've recently learned in sort of the past few decades that old trees grow actually a lot faster than than new trees um, that's because the the hmm. top area of the tree like expands both in circumference and height and that ends up being a lot more mass than a new new seedling so preserving old growth forests is, is very important which we also hmm. largely probably aren't going to be able to do from in many parts of the world like the Amazon right okay <laughs> that's a little sad um <laughs> you seem you seem like you've already accepted all this though i'm just excited to see what happens you know this is sort of like this is, you you ever see an impending scenario like some kind of impending scenario that's going to be bad for someone and there's like nothing you can do so the best thing you can do is just sort of watch the watch the crash i guess so I mean, I mean, that's sort of how my take on GME is right now on, on GameStop. It's just like, this is such a bad situation for like a lot of people involved. Like there's nothing anyone can do. Let's yeah. just see how it ends. <laughs> yeah. 
interesting parallel. <laughs> Four twenty, <laughs> let's let's call it. Um, okay, so my next question is: uh, How can brands help the climate situation? What kind of question is this? All right, I you know I'm gonna. <laughs> this is the first gotcha. <laughs> so I. We talked a lot about what you and I can do. We haven't even talked about that. But what can brands do? Um, you know, maybe if they change Adidas. change their their logo, I I think that would go a long way. I think using that brand awareness. So something like greener. Yeah, like a green maybe, color, maybe a nice that's, minty yeah. green that conveys calmness. Um, Amazing. I, yeah, that makes me feel better. But no, I mean that that's actually a great question because there there's sort of this underlying. Well, I mean it's not a great question, but like there, <laughs> it, it triggers a. a good line of thinking which is you know you're an individual or like you're an entity what can you do you know how how can you contribute um there are two sides to to this climate problem there's like a demand side and a supply side and on the supply side on the electricity side anyway a lot of good things are happening so people are trying to install more solar people are trying to um introduce renewables and batteries which will be integral in getting renewables to actually work uh, enough people realize that maybe nuclear isn't a great idea to, to prevent that whole whole disaster from happening as well. Um, but you know, if you're if you're a brand, like there's there's a lot you can do because typically, if you're a large brand, that also means you're a a um, holder of building assets. And if you own a fleet of buildings or or a fleet of vehicles, you can electrify. You can generate awareness that you are electrifying and that buys consumer goodwill. So really, it'll boil down to um, decarbonizing one building at a time, one outlet at a time, one appliance at a time, one car at a time. Um, that's ultimately what, what it'll take to completely decarbonize uh, the, both the demand side and supply side. You, you have to just change stuff out. So if you're a brand and you own stuff, you know, that's, that's something that you can do. And, and it's un- I don't like it, but like people who who use their logos and their brands to, to brand awareness to, to raise um awareness to, to tackle issues you know they they need that kind of legitimacy so that they can do something um it's so that they have so that people the csr departments can point to, to certain numbers and say hey you know this is buying goodwill and this is a good reason for us to to be going mm-hmm. on this path yeah tying the improvements to energy efficiency to the some kind of profits and we as consumers can help uh on the other side of that by supporting businesses that have demonstrable uh change changing out their appliances basically so, well we, on the demand side it's kind of funny right like there's sort of this opposite solution that needs to happen um there, there's a series of essays uh that were written called confronting consumption by by a guy named um I think Thomas Princeton, and it boils down to a lot of the energy and climate issues that we have require us to confront consumption as like an activity and a way of life that we that we support. And, you know, there's a strong argument argument to be made that like our way of life can very well be described by the things we consume. Um, And there's really no no thousand year future for humanity where everyone is entitled to consume the amount of water that they do on a per capita on an individual basis and consume the amount of electricity that they do it's just like way too much transmission way too much stuff that needs to be manufactured so on the the demand side there are only two things you can do you can only embark on efficiency or conservation Um, conservation is 
is the harder thing to do because it means foregoing something that you previously had. It means giving stuff up, yeah. which is incredibly difficult to, to achieve at scale. Efficiency, you know, people don't really care about about efficiency. So you can implement that in sort of this insidious, invisible way, which is, you know, if the light bulb creates light, I don't really care if it uses less energy. I just sort of want the light. And that's been the approach in right. getting the demand side to, to sign on to um, lessening their footprint. But ultimately, we need to confront consumption. So the, the best thing to do as the consumer to, to brands um, reacting is to not support those brands, to stop you know stop buying stuff it's like hey you know that's a great idea we should make things more green let's let's just take that out of your bottom line do that anyway (laughs) so uh thomas what are some things that you've uh conserved you said that's the hard one i agree um what are some things that you've uh stopped yourself from buying or that you've cut out of your daily life that you used to uh you know indulge in yeah that's that's hard it's ask it's hard to to conserve things and to to forego things i in college i don't know if you recall but i tried to give up meat um yes. i ended up with scurvy which is i think i'm probably the Cheese pizza. only that's a big reveal yeah i'm probably the only vegetarian to ever get scurvy i'm willing to i'm willing to put good money on that at least at least in the past like 20 years as long as i've been alive um but i don't know maybe scurvy is yeah. a big problem in other places of the world where they don't have access to meat uh but without any knowledge of the global diet, I'm willing to bet on that. So, but but it's hard, right? Like we have in place all these systems and all these mechanisms that make it very difficult to to not consume certain things. If you wanted, yeah. to, for example, to not drive a car to work, you know that implies you have to sort of be in a place where there's a working public transit system. But in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. we largely rebuilt population centers to rely on freeways and cars. Um, so if you wanted to do that, you sort of have this whole bulk of infrastructure that's working against you. Um, so you not only have to forego the thing that you're that you're giving up, but you also have to put in additional effort to find ways around working working within a system that supports a certain way of life or a certain mode of life. And and it's the same thing with meat. Yeah. I, I recall one of the challenges of being a vegetarian in college is that actually on a per pound basis, the burger was cheaper than a salad. Like it's ridiculous that right. um, despite the fact that plant matter has to go into into feeding feeding livestock um, and you lose about 90% of the energy that goes in that you're paying about 10% more for on a per pound basis for for food uh, for for non for the meat options yeah 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 so wow uh, well your effort there is appreciated I think that. Uh, my next question was going to be, you know, what can people do themselves as individuals to try to make an impact? Uh, what, you, you answered this question already, but one of those things is conserve. I guess if you didn't want to give up meat, do you have any other high value suggestions for the people out there? Yeah. If you're a homeowner, like heat pumps go a long way in reducing your footprint, right? Like a lot of the things that people tell you to do... Are really about um, mitigation. They're not, they're not about like actually tackling the problem. They're about making your footprint on the problem a little bit less. So like that's all efficiency is. Efficiency is just about making it a little easier to have 100% renewables and to, to not have point source emissions um, be as mm-hmm. be as bad. So if, if you're an yeah. individual, the thing that you can you can do is is to have an open mind to like accept radically different ways of living because that may be necessary for us to meaningfully tackle um 
consumption problems that are tied to climate change and, and environmental degradation as well. We didn't even go into that, but um, we can sort of live without the environment being intact. It's just not a great future either. But yeah, I would say keep an open mind as an individual. There's just there's very like little meaningful high impact stuff that you can do, and you know it's it's sort of meant to be that way. Like if it was easy to to do, then everyone would do it. Um, so mm-hmm. we sort of have to fight fight two things. We have to like change the the basis of modern industrial society to be zero carbon to begin with, and then we have to get all these people to to transition and change their own lifestyles. To not live on the coast, to do things without uh, as as many of the luxuries as we used to have, to conserve water and electricity, those kinds of things. Yeah, and maybe get used to like paying more for for electricity um actually in in the case of solar it's going to be less but you know maybe paying paying more for certain things because previously the a lot of costs were externalized and you you never saw it so being having an open mind to um with a fixed budget to to have to consume less i think is probably the the biggest thing that we can do in the long run okay well thomas Uh, That was very insightful. Thank you. And um, it brings us to our final segment. Are you ready for the final segment? I was born ready for this segment. I think you might have actually been born ready. So normally at the end of the show, we'd like to do a segment. Uh, In this case, I decided to not make the segment related to the environment at all. Um, So when Thomas and I lived together, and uh, even now, he forced me to use a lot of different... uh, google applications to communicate with him because uh i don't know why actually to annoy me so for our final segment uh we're gonna play a game called failed google app or successful kevin app idea so it's a little longer of a name than uh, i usually give the game but and it doesn't rhyme like it normally does but the, the gist is i'm gonna read a title of either a real google app that uh, no longer exists because it failed or something that I came up with that Google should make. Sounds good. Does that make sense, Thomas? Yes, yes it does. Do you, do you care, before we go any further, do you care to explain at all why you made me download all these Google apps to talk to you? You'd like give me very specific, uh, like housing information on like, a, you know, I don't want to give any of these away, but on like, you know, Google plus, you know, I thought, which I, I thought it have. would make a good premise for a very popular Korean drama. <laughs> Wait, is this a reference to my Korean drama? No, episode, I, I just you... think that this would be a really good Korean drama that someone should make. Um, it, I, I disagree, but let's jump into it. So here we go. <laughs> um, are you ready for our first? So this is failed Google app idea or successful Kevin app idea. Uh, number one, Google Journey. Ooh, okay. So is this this might be real? I'll. I can explain what it is if that's helpful. No, that's that's not helpful with these with these Google products. It's not. Um, yeah. I would, I would probably eat it. What is that? What is eat it? Yeah. Is this? Is this? Can I? Can I treat this as as the? Can we play the food one instead? Actually, like, what no. if these were menu items? <laughs> No, okay. I, I think no. this one's fake. I think I think they had. Um, I think the product that I'm thinking of is Google Trips. 
But I don't think Google Journey is mm. real. I think it's a Kevin App idea. Google Journey is a Kevin App idea, and the idea is that it's Google Maps, but it takes you on the most scenic route. So that hey, that's Google, actually if you're listening. yeah, that's a strong idea. Maybe bad for the environment. All right, number two, Google Gears. Google app, failed Google app, or successful Kevin app? All right, what's the description for this? Um, it lets you run web apps offline. I'm going to say this is a failed Kevin app. I'm familiar that there is a web app offline framework, but I don't think it's called Gear. So this is a real failed Google app. So incorrect. You're one for two, Thomas. <laughs> I hate to say it. Um, I may not have summarized that super clearly. It's kind of vague, but that's all I wrote down. So <laughs> that's all I got. Google Gears. All right. Uh, number three, Google Body. Um, let's see. Google app or Kevin what, app? Is it a fitness app or fitness tracking? Yes. It, it, uh, it's fitness tracking, and it also uh, provides you a 3D model of your body. Okay. That's definitely a Kevin idea. You, you had it up until the 3D model of the body. It. Yeah, you blew it. You blew that one. Uh, yes, that is that is mine. All right. Um, number four, Google Allo. Um, sounds like a fantastic Kevin idea. Something <laughs> something only a really smart guy like yourself would come up with. Like, is one of the features uh, the ability to, like, have, have emojis that can be resized? I don't know. I don't know how to use Google Allo. Can you explain what Google Allo I, is? I can't. Thomas? I thought it was one of your ideas. It's not one of my ideas. It's a real Google app that you made me download. Well, it sounds so like a good idea. You could please explain. Yeah, to you, I'm sure it did. But what what is Google Allo? Why did we need it? It was. Why did you tell me how to pay rent on it? It was just another platform for for encouraging open communication. I just you know, I just felt that we were we were drifting and we needed more more ways to communicate. And I thought. You know, here's another app that lets us talk to each other. You know, mm-hmm. connecting mm-hmm. people who are far apart. Yeah. Well, thankfully, Google Allo is now defunct. So I think you're actually, uh, let's see, you got Google Journey wrong. No, you got Google Journey right, but I think that's it. No, and Google Body. So you're two for four. Wait, I don't, I, so I don't get credit for the Allo one, even though I knew it was a fit. No, because it's real. You knew, You know it's real. And you said it was me two for four let's see if you can redeem yourself with a net positive uh, score on this last one number five is google sideload google app or kevin what app? does it do uh you know how people are always downloading or uploading there's a whole direction that no oh, one come is on about. this is a this is a fantastic <laughs> kevin idea this is like the next billion dollar company waiting to happen <laughs> that's what i'm saying why aren't we sideloading? We're only uploading and downloading. Let's talk about it. Where, why, where's there no lateral movement? It's one way. I, I think sideloading typically refers to when you download something and then a third party comes in and tries to also insert a payload. Um, yeah, which is what I'm trying to do. Right, yeah. I, I think that might be called malware in some parts of the industry. but We got to turn that malware into BNware. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, all right, Thomas, you did great. Three out of five, but I think it was actually four out of five. The only one that tripped you up was Google Gears, which I couldn't even explain. Right. So well, you know Google Apps better than anyone I know. You know what they say, D's earn degrees. Three <laughs> out of five is a 60%. That's like a, that's a solid D minus above an F. 
yeah, that's a that, that's a curved A in uh, in some of the classes that you and I took. So, congrats, uh, you made it to the end of the episode. What uh, before we go, do you have anything that you'd like to promote? Um, Coca Cola, super super delicious. <laughs> Just not being paid to say this, but man, those calories—they oh, like, you know, if you drink a Coca Cola and a Diet Coke, it cancels each other out. Did you I know think that? that's uh, we could get sued for you giving it medical advice like that. But as a licensed nutritionist, um, I just want to say this is official advice. It's yeah. the official stance <laughs> of unless you ask. No, I'm not, but I want to get it out okay, there. Okay, thank you. As long as we got that on the record. Um, wow, what be. a plug! Usually, I just let I don't I try not to talk over people's promotions, but I had trouble with this one. Um, great. On that note, Thomas, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for telling us about the climate for real, though. Um, and, uh, you know, enjoy a, a fresh Coke after this. And, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. It was fun to fun to be here. And it was great to, to relive the not giving people financial advice, even though that's what they tuned in for. <laughs> we give people financial advice. I'm sure they'll take yeah, it. Buy a, buy a house on the coast, kids. <laughs> GME 420. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Unless You Ask, and thank you to Thomas for being my guest. Unless You Ask is produced by Bread People Productions. You can check out all the things that they're working on over at breadpeopleproductions.com. If you would like to appear as a guest on the show or if you have any feedback, please email me at unlessyoupod at gmail.com. Finally, you've made it to the very end of the episode, and this week, my nobody asked is that in college, I got really into watching magic videos, specifically Penn & Teller's Fool Us, so check those out if you want to waste a bunch of time.